Sports uh, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Did I almost say Sports Center? What is wrong with me today? There's so much going on, man. There's you know, so much going on. Speaking of that, and, and this is the reason why I'm there. Sports Center is why I'm here right now. Is it? I grew up wanting to be a Sports Center anchor. Did you? Yeah, I grew up. Well, I grew up in the tail end of the prime period because early 2000s. I would watch Dan Patrick on Sports Center, be Neil Everett, maybe yeah. Scott Van Pelt, Stuart Scott. I grew up in like the early 2000s of that sports. You know, that former Sports Center anchor just walked by the glass right now, right? Hey, look at him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jorge Andre, there he is. Hey, he w- lived my dream. He yeah, lived now my WB dream. TV. And I imagine Young Smoke sitting up at 11 o'clock eating his rolled up bologna slices. And, you know, I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> Cooler than the other side of the pillow. You, you were doing that at like six, weren't you? Yeah, you were. <laughs> He's cooler than the other side of the pillow. I was like, oh, so that's what happened with Jason Bay and the Pirates last night. <laughs> oh, man, that's cool, though. Yeah, it, it was th- That could not have been better timing. You say, I want to be a sports center anchor growing up, and a literal former sports center anchor just walked by, walked by our window in studio just now. Uh, 704-570-9610. Rufus in Wilmington is uh, telling me it's going to take a whole lot of luck to get a uh, a great wide receiver at 33. And I just don't. I don't think that's accurate. No, not not these days. No, with wide receivers. By the way, last time I checked, Moose and Muhammad was picked uh, in the early forties, like forty first, forty second. Like there's been countless wide receivers taken in the second round that turned out to be studs in the NFL. Third round, Steve Smith, the guy that we're trying to get into the Hall of Fame, he was taken in the third round. Sure. Like no, especially and with this draft. Like this is prob. This could be the most stacked wide receiver class since twenty fourteen. Hopefully Carolina doesn't get it I wrong mean, like they did in 2014. Wasn't Stefan Diggs a fifth or sixth round pick? Yeah, fifth round. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than Antonio Brown was a second or third. Fifth, fifth. I mean, oh, remember that was right. that was uh, Marty. That's right, Marty. Who did he take right before Antonio Brown? Oh, I think it might have been Tony Pike. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Is either that or like Eric Norwood or something? Yeah. Uh, you would always say I, you know, I always wanted to get. Antonio Brown, I just missed out on him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Rufus, you're my man. All right, you're, you're you're good dude. You're good people. Rufus and Wilmington checking in, but they, they are more than capable. If this iteration of the Panthers front office knows what they're doing, more than capable of getting a wide receiver one at 33 if they know what they're looking for. And it could be anybody from a Donnie Mitchell to Malachi Corley out of Western Kentucky, who I know that Smitty likes a lot. Smoke, you like Malachi Corley, right? Yeah, I don't know second round, but like third round, I definitely think that's his range, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bowtie Phil, A.J. Brown was a second. D.K. Metcalf was a second. I mean, these guys, these dudes are going to be there in the second round. Are you kidding me? The second round in the NFL now feels like the – like you could still get a lot of first-round talent in that range. Well, right, because like usually anywhere from like 50 to 70% of the top 10 picks are going to be quarterbacks and edge rushers. So, I mean right. – you know, some of these positions get pushed back uh, several spots, more so than they would have 20 years ago. So, yeah, 33, you're in a right position to get the right wide receiver if you know what you're looking for. So hit us up on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. We'd love to hear from you. we got Luke DeCock back in 16 minutes. Uh, this, this will be the final round of court-storming opinions that you will hear this week, but I'm sure he's got one. We'll talk about the miracle that was Kyle Filipowski suiting up last night. We'll talk about Carolina and State this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about a lot with Luke DeCock coming up in 16 minutes, but right now, it's the best audio in sports. What did you say? You what? What did you say? Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. What did I hear you say? What I mean by that is... Amon Ross St. Brown drafted in the fourth round. Yeah. We can keep going here. So, yeah. Go ahead. Unfortunately, Carolina picked Terrace Marshall. Um, 
<laughs> big big breakout year for him, as you said. This is the year. <laughs> Terrace Marshall Jr., he and Devin Funches and Dwayne Jarrett are all going to break out this year. The Panthers have done some awful wide receiver drafting. What you got over In the second round. <laughs> Earlier today, Merrill Hodge joined Wes and Walker. And he recently let it be known on D.C. Sports Radio that he is not as high on UNC quarterback and Charlotte native Drake May compared to most people in the NFL circles. And well, after today, it's safe to say he doubled down on his take. Take a listen. I was shocked at how erratic he was as a passer from every perspective. Short, intermediate, long. Now, does he make some great throws? Because people go, oh, what about that touchdown throw? Okay, that's one throw. TV lies, highlights really lie. You gotta look at the whole scope of throws. And when you look at them, clean pocket, dirty pocket, he is he is very inconsistent. There's no consistency with how he throws it. Um watching how he's handled um pressures, I was like, sometimes he didn't even see it. You know, and then sometimes he looked at it but he didn't acknowledge it as far as throwing it, and I was like Now that you could only be in a room with him and go, Hey, what do you think in there to have the true story there? But it's not processed right. Um, he doesn't handle right. His mobility, he has some mobility, but he's very stiff. Um, he's not quick. Um, and see, those things add up when you get to the, the NFL, and everybody's so much faster and quicker and smarter than what you just got done playing. He despises Drake May's game. <laughs> he, he despises Drake May's game. Does anybody else feel the same way that he does? Like, I know there are people out there who don't think Drake's all that. I get that. But there's a difference between not thinking Drake's all that and being Merrill Hodge or, I guess, an NC State fan. Like, they they, they probably feel the same way. Uh, not as much because they beat him. Um, yeah. I, mean, I go back. To, I was just looking at Patrick Mahomes' scouting report coming out of the draft. Do you want to hear his weaknesses? Hit me. Gunslinger who can be reckless with the football. Mechanical issues to fix, throws too many passes back across the field, sails his deep balls too far, will need to wor- learn working under center, needs work on footwork, making drops from under center, will need to learn working in NFL huddle, needs to improve footwork, that seems redundant, needs development for a pro-style offense, college offense ran a lot of plays he won't run in the NFL, needs to take more checkdowns, needs to work on staying in and being comfortable in the pocket. Now, when those are your weaknesses... Does that sound like a future goat to you coming out of the draft? No, he was a complete unknown in that draft. Okay, so my point is, like, you can, I mean, you, you can pick apart things in, in in tape. Don't get me wrong; I don't think that Drake's the perfect prospect. But you know, when you start breaking it down and you make this laundry list of things that you don't like, it sounds absolutely awful. And then you go back and you read the scouting report coming out of the draft on Patrick Mahomes, and you're like, oh well. I mean, that, that sounds kind of similar to what you're hearing right there. So we'll see. Drake may be great. Drake might be mediocre. Drake might stink. We'll, fi- we'll find out. I'm still a big fan, but Lord knows Merrill Hodge isn't. What else you got? Keeping things on the testy side, Jay Billis joined Pardon My Take podcast yesterday. And the guys, Big Pat, uh, Big Pat, Big Pat, <laughs> Big Cat and PFT uh, questioned him about being anti-court storming. And well, things got a wee bit awkward. Or is there maybe a little bit of a blind spot here where you're the player's perspective, we're the fan's perspective, and that's where the disconnect is? No. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I could say this. I'm not trying to talk you out of liking it. If you want to do it, I'm not going to stop you. I don't care. Go ahead. 
you know, I, I don't understand what, like, what the problem is in this discussion. You know, you seem to be coming at me. With, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not. My perspective. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I, I tend to put the participants' safety above, you know, like your liking it or your memory and all that. If you want to do it, that's great. He got really defensive right there. I, I, I've always, I like Jay. We've had him on the show several times. Hope to again. I like most of his opinions, but it's not really all that shocking that people don't love your opinion on this. It comes across as, as I think, kind of elitist a little bit. And, you know, you want to start talking about writing side. He basically said, let the, let them run on the floor and then rope them off like they're cattle and then start handing out citations. Hell, arrest them too. Okay, are you shocked that people didn't love that opinion? Yeah, we get it. You played at Duke. You know, you're great athlete, all that stuff. You're going to side with the players, understood. But like, okay, get them off the floor. But most of these things go off without anybody getting hurt. And clearly, Kyle Filipowski wasn't actually hurt. He played last night. So I, I just, when you showed that to me yesterday, I was like, oh, that's a guy who's, you know, getting some feedback that, you know, this isn't one of his more popular opinions necessarily. And I didn't think that question was out of bounds at all. What else you got? Well, if you watch Duke beat down Louisville, that was only the appetizer last night on the ACC network as after the game, the network released a special reuniting Coach K and Roy Williams. Rivals reunited, and it was emceed by Wes Sturm, the mayor of the ACC. And last night, Roy, who is retired, I guess, thinks it's now finally cool to admit to something that would always annoy the crap out of UNC fans, and that was him not using timeouts. And apparently, sometimes he did it to get them pissed off. I mean, yeah. the Carolina fans up there, they why did you never call a timeout? Okay, so I understand that. And then it became a little bit of a challenge. I didn't call timeouts just to piss some people off. <laughs> but John Calipari, we're playing in 17. We won our last championship. We played them. We have a lead. They make two ridiculous threes in a row to tie the game up. Kenny Meeks gets it out, gets it into Theo. Theo dribbles it down, hits Luke May. Luke May hits a shot. We go to the final four. Calipari, that night when we were leaving the arena, I heard somebody yell, Roy, and I turned around. It was John, and he used a very colorful language to say, I was trying to call a timeout because I knew you weren't going to call a timeout, and we would not get our defense set. But that's the way we practice every day. So my thing on the calling time, yeah, I'll admit at the end, I just did it sometimes just to let people talk about it, but never in the game where it was close. <laughs> but we did that in practice every day. I love that. Now, just setting aside the tactical part of it, right, for the basketball hawks out there, I just – it makes you, because I've thought about this in the past, like how often coaches are sitting over there, they're focused on the game, they're focused on what they're doing. You know, they'd have you believe that they're basketball or football robots and that's all they're, but Roy's sitting over there like, I'm going to teach these people. This is going to, I'm going to get under their skin. Well, I'm not going to call a timeout. Watch this. He's doing it to mess with you in the midst of a 20-year career and three national championship runs. That man, at least often enough, was sitting over here thinking, nah, let's piss him off a little bit. Honestly, <laughs> That and that is why those of us who aren't even Carolina fans love Roy Williams. That and I also wish, because it was so much of a blowout while it happened, even though they came back. Part of me hopes he was just trying to piss UNC fans off there in that Final Four game against Kansas. When they, were, they were losing by 15, and that was the infamous Billy Packer. This game is over.
I wonder if he just held the timeouts like, ah, I'm going to piss him off. We're already losing as is. Mm. What else you got? All right. Well, yesterday on the All-Star edition of Jeopardy, contestant Jake Diarruda revealed what he has been up to since the first time he was on the show. And it sounds like he's like a lot of people in this listening audience and a lot of people that listen to Sports Talk Radio. Jake Diarruda, originally from Ludlow, Vermont, is a delivery routing assistant. What did you do with your winnings? Jake, you, you had quite a streak. So I was twenty. I was twenty-three when my games there last year. So I did what anybody under the age of twenty-five would do, and I promptly spent the check on sports gambling and women and alcohol. And by that, of course, okay. and by that, of course, I spent twenty bucks on a college football pick'em that went horribly wrong. Uh, twenty bucks to take my date and I to the top of the Gillette Stadium lighthouse, and uh, several four packs of hard cider to get through the awful Patriot season that I endured. <laughs> Yeah, that man's a Sports Talk Radio listener, for sure. <laughs> for sure, that man is a Sports Talk Radio listener. There is not a doubt in my mind. Uh, 704-570-9610, hit us up. Jim Thorpe on the text line just did. He says, have you ever been hitting the knee? In the right spot, it hurts like hell for five to ten minutes, and you can hardly walk. But you can shake it off and play. It's a bruise. I'm a big Tar Heel fan. Leave Filipowski alone. And for the umpteenth time, I'm not mad at Kyle Filipowski. I'm not blaming Kyle Filipowski. I'm laughing at his coach and at Duke fans for acting like he got mauled by a tiger on the floor. That's what I'm doing. And I stand by it. Luke DeCock, next. We'll see how he feels about it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. This is Seth Curry of the Charlotte Hornets. You're listening to Kyle Bailey on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, home of the Charlotte sports fan. The reaction on the text line to this ongoing Kyle Filipowski Duke thing is hilarious. Kyle Filipowski played against Louisville last night uh, after, you know, what happened against Wake Forest over the weekend. And I got funny reactions coming in. Uh, Jamie was, uh, you know, he was coming at me a little bit and said, and not that's maybe an overstatement, but he said, if Shire was coaching your son, wouldn't you want him to react just like that? And I was like, well, I mean, I'd want him to tend to my son in the moment, but you know, and make sure that he's okay. But no, I don't need some monologue about ending one of college athletics you know, more exciting traditions, given that 99% of these things go off without a hitch. Um, do it, does that mean that logistically you can't make it better? No, of course not. But I think the overreaction this week has been, uh, you know, pretty entertaining. In fact, 704 number says, I'm a big Duke fan, but Kyle Filipowski is soft. If he would have played in the old Duke versus Carolina battles, he would have come out in a wheelchair and a full body cast after the games. It's a Duke fan on the text line right there. So uh, but scattered opinions, to say the least. And for what is likely going to be the last time this week, even though you know Chip Patterson's on tomorrow, so I can't promise that. I can't promise that. Let's bring in Luke DeCock of the Raleigh News and Observer. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on this. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, Kyle. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, nice to see that Kyle Filipowski was able to rise above last night. <laughs> just, just take it. I mean, just go, go ahead. I mean, what, what are your? This has been a whole week full of you know referendums yeah. and think pieces on court storming. I mean, I, th- I think in, in the end, what you get down to um, is you, you just said something that, that I, I think is, is an important thing not to overlook, which is 99% of the time these things go off without a hitch. We can't have the 1%. You know, Filipowski, he bumped knees, it hurts, but he's fine. Caitlin Clark gets trampled. Uh, you know, you, you've seen this at concerts. You've seen this in soccer stadiums where you have crushes of, of people and people die, um, an athlete is going to get hurt. The direction of a team's season is going to change. There's a high school kid who had his back broken or, uh, in a court storming and, and, and was never able to, 
to, to you know, had, had developmental disabilities for the rest of his life. And there has to be a better way to do it. I don't necessarily think you have to get rid of it entirely. Um, I think they've had, you know, even with Will Prevett getting knocked out of his wheelchair and rescued by C.J. Leslie, uh, they've had better success at NC State where they have full-time security in the building and a staff that knows what they're doing, not a bunch of part-time contractors, um, you know, who may have good leadership but but aren't, don't do that as a job. And, um, you know, that at NC State they funnel the kids to certain entrances to the floor. They create a cordon to protect the visiting team. Um, you know, they create a window to get people off the floor. It, it's fine. It, it, you see it happen in football. There's more space on the field. It's easier for players to evade. Um, but you, you've got to find a way to separate the fans from the players. You know, we don't have people storming on stage at the end of rock concerts to go hug Mick Jagger. We don't have people, you know, running on the NBA floors because not only would you get tackled and tased, you'd spend the night in jail. Um, there's a happy medium here. But it, it requires spending money on security, on staff, on training, on being prepared, being ready, on educating fans to say, hey, you know, you have certain exits that you're going to be able to enter the floor. Um, if you try to jump out of the football stands at Syracuse and, and maybe break your ankle, um, we're going to throw you up against the wall. You know, we, there are ways we want you to do this in an orderly fashion. That's where we've got to get to, because the alternative is a player gets badly injured, and luckily Filipowski wasn't, or a, a fan gets killed. And then we spend a lot of time saying, well, why didn't we do something about it? So we, we, th- there's no reason this has to stop. In a way, it can't stop because if 2,000 students want to get on the floor, it doesn't matter how many security you have to stop them. But we have to be prepared, and we have to have plans in place. We have to spend money on security um, and, and make sure that this is done in a, in a manner that's safe, not only for the people on the floor, but for the fans. Because any sort of this is a mob action, and any sort of mob action is inherently dangerous and, and needs to be done in a in a manner that's not going to endanger life and limb. So yeah, I, yes. I think there is a happy medium. I, I'm with you on that. I, I am team logistics and planning. I'm fine with all of that. I just refuse to go so far as Jay Billis wanting to throw people in the in the in the slammer for for rushing the court. So let's do this. I want to play something for you. Speaking of college basketball and get your reaction to it. You've probably seen it by now, but for those who haven't heard it, and it's not even the the clip in its entirety, but last night Scott Van Pelt on the 11 a.m. 11 p.m. Sports Center, he does his one big thing segment. And last night's one big thing for those that didn't see it was about the net ratings in college basketball and specifically how the Big 12 is kind of gaming the system. And, uh, you know, it was a nice little nugget in here about the ACC. I want to play this. It's about 90 seconds long, and I want to get your reaction. Check this out. Comments from Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell point out another interesting reason why. They have effectively manipulated those net rankings in a way which benefits them significantly. On WCCP Radio, Brownell pointed out how the out-of-conference scheduling of the Big 12 helps ensure higher net rankings so that once they play in-conference games, everybody benefits because you only have head-to-head games with highly regarded teams. Regarding the out-of-conference, Brownell said, quote, they're playing 300-level teams and winning by 40 and 50 points to increase their offensive and defensive efficiency numbers, which is a big part of the net tool. Now, I need to interject that's not entirely correct. The quality of the opponent is taken into account. Once again, back to the Brownell quote. He added, our league has zero teams in the top 50 of the net that have a non-conference schedule of 250 or higher. The Big 12 has six teams 
I appreciated Coach being willing to name names, and Brownell did, specifically pointing out Cincinnati and Iowa State as examples of out-of-conference schedules that were, to use his word, awful. Now, that's his opinion. So I looked. It's hard to argue it's not a fact. Brownell mentioned in noting the ACC is 9-3 against the mighty Big 12 in head-to-head -head games this year. That includes Clemson's win over TCU. And again, I quote Brownell, we played TCU, beat TCU. TCU's doing well in the Big 12. And I remember preparing for the TCU game and telling my staff, look who they played. They haven't played anybody. Every game's Abilene Christian and Houston Baptist. We're getting ready to play them. We've already played a really hard schedule, but look at their net. There you go. Luke DeCock, your reaction to all that, sir. I'm going to tell you a little story about the ACC in 2019. NC State accidentally wasn't what they were trying to do. Vanderbilt was terrible. UNC Asheville was terrible. Mount St. Mary's was terrible. These were all NCAA tournament teams the previous year, I think. Maybe not Bandy, but teams that had been good mid-majors and an SEC team. Uh, NC State beat them, beat the pants off those teams, beat them by 30, 35, 50 in one case. Went down and won at Auburn, a future Final Four team. Did okay in the ACC, had a very good net. Ended up having the best net of any team left out of the, AC, of the NCAA tournament. Was left out because their non-conference strength of schedule wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. The ACC got three number one seeds that year. You want to know why the ACC got three number one seeds that year? Because NC State played a terrible non-conference schedule, beat the pants off those teams, had a high net rating, and everybody else in the ACC benefited. Mm -hmm. There are obviously other factors, but that's how it works. And here's the thing people don't understand. If you actually crunch the numbers and you actually look at how efficiency in these things work and how they become predictive, it's just as hard to beat a bad team by 50 as it is to beat a good team by five. Scoring margin does matter. matter. And you can say, well, we don't want them running up the score or leaving the starters in. That's fine. That's a choice every coach gets to make. In the end, the final score has predictive value. And if the Big 12 went and beat up on a bunch of bad teams by a lot, that's still a sign that those are strong teams. It is hard to beat a bad team by a lot of points. You don't think so because you see teams lose by a lot. But the reality is you can tell how good a team is by how much they beat bad teams by. It's not just winning and losing. That, that margin of victory matters. So did the Big 12 game the system? No. The system is pumping out what it's supposed to pump out. If the Big 12 beats up on a bunch of bad teams, that actually means that those teams are probably pretty good. And if the ACC wanted a better net rating for its team, it should win its the games against bad teams by more and win good games against good teams. Well, ACC well, did not win a ton of games against good teams in non-conference. It avoided bad losses. Well, hold on, hold but on. It also didn't go run around blowing people out. Well, so no, no, I, I hear you. The system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And if you if you look at if you compare conferences' net rankings with their Ken Palm efficiency averages, whatever. And a guy, I retweeted this this afternoon. You can go look at it on Twitter. The Big 12 is not gaming the system. The Missouri Valley Conference has somehow gained the system. You know who's second to last in terms of how their net is relative to how good their teams actually are? The SEC. So I, I think people just, the system is actually working as designed. This is a feature, not a bug. And if you want a better net rating, if you look at the, the games the ACC has won and lost, especially in non-conference, go win more games and win them by more. Doctor, heal thyself. Brad Brownell loves to whine about this stuff because his team doesn't reflect well in this. And guess what? 
That's a reflection on his team, not the system. Yeah, I, I hear you, but I still think there's an argument that the system sucks, A, and B, when you point out that, okay, maybe they're not gaming, gaming the system, they're not doing this. The ACC is still 9-3 and three against that perceived best conference in America. So e- even if you believe that the system is spitting out what it's supposed to, aren't we then supposed to still heavily factor in that the ACC, a conference that is seemingly getting the short end of the stick by many of the national bracketology pundits, they've been whooping up on, on the perceived best conference in the country. Every, so every, every game counts. You can't just pick and choose the games between the ACC and Big 12. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, yeah, there, no, there's... You are. You say the ACC is 9-3 and three against the Big 12, so the ACC must be better. No, no, I'm That's asking how, how it but it, it's not how it game? works, but how does it not seemingly get factored in at all? Because you're saying, well, it's, it's just as easy to be the bad team by 40 as it is to be the good team by five. I don't necessarily agree with that logic, so I don't think that's a given, really. I don't think it's just as hard to beat Houston Baptist I mean, by four. That's, that's how efficiency ratings work. That's how that's how they become predictive. Like, you can you can argue with it, but that's like arguing with the weather. No, it's not. It's like, that's, that's, like, saying, that's, that's like saying that's the science, when the science isn't always settled. Just because there's some math in there doesn't mean it's the definitive math. It just means it's a version of the math that they're using. I mean, that, this is... This is, a, it's, this is these are this is this is the way it is, you know. Like this is this is how efficiency works in basketball. This is how they use the set betting line. Okay, no, I hear you. Look, I, I don't want I don't want to belabor the points. There's more I want to talk about with you. Right? We got Luke Decock with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. So Carolina State on Saturday. That's a big one. It's obviously important. It always is. Um, but before we even get to that game. Report out yesterday from your, uh, your your colleague there, Andrew Carter, that um, UNC's telling the SEC and Big Ten that they and NC State are a package deal in, in a potential next round of realignment. What do you think of that? I mean, the the, the Board of Governors voted today that they're going to control this, that they're going to have their finger on any future realignment. So this is the way of the world. The politicians have decided that this is going to be their decision. Um, it's not going to be up to the chancellors and athletic directors. I think if you're charitable about it, you could say it's hard to imagine they can make any worse decisions. Um, but I think that's probably more of a function of UNC acknowledging the political realities. They've got an interim chancellor who came from the Board of Governors. Uh, we know who's calling the shots here. So I think, you know, if you want to look at it in the most, uh, in the way is UNC understands that they no longer have the power to make these decisions and that the people who are making the decisions are not going to let them do it on their own. Okay, I got you. So Carolina State Saturday, um, I, I just it's the next iteration of this rivalry game. We, we know who needs it more, but what does it look like? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I mean, NC, NC State clearly needs it more. Um, it's, it's just there's, there's such a gap right now between the two programs, and I don't think NC State is a, is a bad team. I mean, I... The thing that gets lost in all this discussion about the ACC is there are probably seven teams in the ACC that I would not want to play in Washington. Like, I don't want to see State. I don't want to see Syracuse. I don't want to see Clemson. Uh, you know, I don't want to see Pitt. If, I, if I'm a top four seed, I don't want to see any of those teams. Um, you know, the, and, and just because the, 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 the hardcore pen and paper analysis indicates that these teams haven't performed up to perhaps their potential. It uh, doesn't mean they can't on any given night. Um, so that's, I think, when you look at NC State, this is a dangerous team, a team that did not fire against Florida State, did not come out and play well, um, certainly will be motivated in Chapel Hill. Um, but just an uphill battle. The way that UNC is playing right now, I, I don't think that they're in top gear. Uh, I think they're probably uh, playing at somewhat less than full speed. But they, 
but they're, they don't have to. Um, it's a really good team with a lot of weapons, a lot of ways to beat you. Um, and then, you know, they've got a guy, they got the best player in the league who can go out and score 40 and, and do it on a night where they need it. Um, so I, it's just, I think it's a really tough ask for NC State. Um, you know, but they should be motivated after the way they played in Tallahassee, and they should be motivated in a rivalry game. So if you don't get NC State's best here, something is wrong. Um, and NC State's best is, is potentially good enough to beat UNC, and, and that's, I think, what we've seen in the ACC with Pitt winning at Duke and, and Syracuse blowing out State in, at Syracuse, and Syracuse beating UNC at Syracuse, and, and Clemson winning in Chapel Hill is, is even the good teams have to be at their best to beat some of these other teams. And some of these other teams on any given night can be pretty good. So I think that's what NC State has to hope. I, I think that's a lot to ask, uh, and I think Carolina is going to be motivated as well to finish the season strong. But uh, that, that's kind of – it's a tough ask for the Wolfpack here. They're really going to have to, to bring it. Good-spirited discussion, my man. I truly appreciate you as always. I, re- I mean that. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Kyle. Take care, bud. Be good. Luke DeCock with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the text line. There's a lot of reaction. People thinking me and Luke are about to fight right now. Somebody says, I can feel you fuming, Kate. I'm not fuming. I'm not fuming. I'm just, listen, I, I'm not afraid to have this take. I'll have this take loud and proud until the end of time. And for you, you know, you, you analytics guys out there, you you data crunchers out there, I believe analytics and data are, are hugely important and beneficial in so many walks of life. Important. So many. But I think it ruins sports. I think it ruins sports. And so when you start talking to me about, well, the math. Okay, well, then maybe your math's right. I agree with Steve Forbes in Winston-Salem. The metric sucks. That's what Steve Forbes said last week, or was it earlier this week? The metric sucks. You, you can't tell me. First of all, I wholly disagree with Luke that beating a, t- a bad team by 40 is you know, the same or as easy as beating a good team by five. I couldn't disagree with that more. Um, but then beyond that, well, the system's spitting out what it's supposed to. Well, the system sucks. And so if you're telling me, well, the, 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 big, t- the big 12 has six teams in the top 50 of the net ratings that have a non-conference schedule of 250 or worse. They've got six. Yet the ACC doesn't have one. But the ACC is also nine and three head to head against the Big Twelve. I'm still supposed to believe that the ACC is that far behind the Big Twelve. I've got to listen to Joe Lenardi furrow his brow every week about oh, this is a concerning trend for the ACC. They're nine and three against the perceived best conferences or best conference in the country. You can't tell me that doesn't matter. It's insane. Let's go to smoke on the headlines. Who is smoke? Where is smoke? <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's fire. Let's go. What you got over there? Well, first off, I uh, want to let everyone know that this report is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of North Carolina. Pella Windows and Doors is the perfect solution for your home's new look. Now offering buy one, get one 50% off. Call Pella today at 704-802-1995 or visit them online at Pella.com. Got over there. All right, so we actually got some big NCAA news that does not refer to the net in any way. Caitlin Clark just released on her own Twitter account, by the way. She's now only 18 points away from breaking Pistol Pete Maravich's record, official NCAA record, for most points in all of college basketball history, that this will be her last year in women's college basketball. She's not going to stay at Iowa next year. She'll be going to the WNBA Good. after this year. Good. So... 
This will be a heck of a month for Caitlin Clark coming up. That's awesome. Good for her. That's exciting stuff. I'm happy for her. Uh, this is year four for her, right? Yes. And, yes. and, and, Pete, Pete, did, and Pete did it in three years. we got we got to point that out. And with no three-point line. And with no three-point line. So, you know, the number is going to be different. The number is going to be the number, but uh, no three-point line did it in three years. All right, what you got over there? And Pete also had more shot attempts, though. So, that is something that also the point as well. But got some more college basketball news as Old Dominion is hiring Maryland assistant and former star of Old Dominion, Mike Jones. What? Say that again now? Old Dominion. They're firing, They're hiring their new basketball coach. Maryland assistant and former star at Old Dominion, Mike Jones. Is another Mike Jones? I, I thought you were going to say it. No, I'm not going to say who. I, it's, it's a fun joke still. But really? Yeah. So Mike Jones at UNC Greensboro, too. Our good friend, Mike Jones. Yeah. Mike Jones is everywhere. There's going to be two head basketball, like Division One head basketball coaches on either side of the state line. <laughs> they Mike Jones recruiting against each other. Like, that's going to be so confusing. <laughs> they're going to be, because you know, you know Greensboro and ODU are going head-to-head yeah. with recruits, right? Yeah, they're going to be in some similar recruiting battles. We, yeah. I, we got to get Mike Jones from UNC Greensboro on the phone to figure out how he's going to make that work. I'm going to text my boy Mike Jones right now. <laughs> Me and Mike go way back when he was at Radford University. I love Mike. Hey, uh, wait, does UNCG play Western on Saturday? Oh, no, they play Chattanooga, but can he tell them to take it easy on Western next time they play? I'll hit him up and let him know, yeah. Uh, all right. And uh, finally, uh, at the NFL Combine, one of my draft crushes just completely balled out in his 40-yard dash time. Braden Fisk, the defensive tackle for Florida State, had a big performance in the ACC championship game here. Uh, he's six foot three and a half, two ninety two. 292. Kyle, he just ran a 4.7840. Who did? Braden Fisk. So I'm, okay, a, a, a defensive end. Defensive tackle slice the end, yeah. Depends on what system. Oh, wow. Four, seven, eight. Man, you only see that kind of stuff on, like, Animal Planet. That's crazy. Woo. That's just man, freakish stuff, man. I wish this team man. had more assets because I love me some Braden Fisk. That's impressive. All right, we'll come back. We'll tell you who balled out. We will wrap up the hour. Hornets head coach Steve Clifford coming up in 20 minutes. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Join the Mac and Bone Show Friday. Plenty of more insight on the Hornets hiring Jeff Peterson to run the operation on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Intercepted by Julius Peppers, and he takes it all the way, 47 yards for the score. Here comes Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney will survive and win the Bank of America Roval 400. High performers, big time achievers, we call it who balled out. It's powered by high performance real estate advisors and the biggest dad gum baller of them all, Thomas Elrod. Go to highperformancerealestate.com and they'll see you at the proverbial closing table. The real one, too. Smoke what you got. I got to go with my guy, Vontarius Woolbright, for the Western Carolina Catamounts, baby, in the Wii. Last night, senior night, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. He now leads the NCAA with his fourth triple double of the season and a school record fifth of his career last night as Western got a win over Furman. Kyle, if they get one win in the NCAA or a SOCON tournament, they tie the most wins they've gotten since being a D1 school in the NCAA. So Justin Gray doing great things up in 
Cullowee. There you go. I'll go Caitlin Clark. Uh, it was just about, actually, two weeks ago today that we were celebrating Caitlin Clark, in a figurative sense, breaking the all-time scoring record, NCAA scoring record, that was previously set by Washington's Kelsey Plum, a WNBA All-Star and champion. But uh, as many people pointed out thereafter, it wasn't technically the record, right? Um, you know, you had the, uh, who was it, Pearl Moore down in, at Francis Marion in South Carolina at the Division II level who scored uh, scored more into the 4,000s, and uh, that's Division Two. But then also, Lynette Woodward at the University of Kansas. Well, her record wasn't acknowledged by the NCAA, and still really isn't, but uh, Caitlin Clark passed her last night, and they're calling it the, uh, passing the major college, what are they calling it? The, the major college scoring mark, major college women's basketball scoring mark. Essentially D1. Yeah, essentially D1. So she now really holds the record. Uh, after passing Lynette Woodward last night. And some will still, again, point out, you know, Pearl Moore at Francis Marion, but that's Division Two, so it is, in fact, a different record. But uh, Caitlin Clark is now officially, officially, the uh, all-time record leader at the Division One level. And, of course, only 18 points away from breaking Pistol Pete Maravich. And that game will be on Fox. So think about this. Fox on Sunday, you got this game, Iowa versus Ohio State, which, by the way, is a top-10 matchup. So that's big enough as is. Then you got Caitlin Clark trying to break the record. I think, yeah, this is going to be senior night. So this is going to be her last game at Iowa. And then that's at noon. And then right after that, you go to Las Vegas for NASCAR, baby. Mm. Going to be a big day for Fox on Sunday. Going to be real, real big, real, real big. Uh, the FanDuel text line's hopping right now. I've got some incredible stuff. First of all, just believe me, I'll get there. Uh, Gary from King, North Carolina, just hit me with, this ain't even a real text line. I don't know what that means, but when I saw it, I was going to Gary from King, North Carolina first. He also said, so it, speaking to Caitlin Clark, so if Pete Maravich did it in three years, she isn't, hasn't, and can't break any record. How many points did she have after three years? Just count every one of her three-point shots as two points. And at the end of three years, how many points did she have? A woman can't beat a man at much, and damn sure not this. If you're judging <laughs> God, if you're judging things in realistic terms and you're not one of these, if the media said it, then it must be so, bandoliers. And then for some reason he says, and this ain't even a real text line. <laughs> Gary, I love you for sending me all that. <laughs> a woman can't beat a man at much, and damn sure not this. Well, what do you mean? It's just the accumulation of points, Gary. Nobody's saying she would have taken Pistol Pete in a one-on-one -on -one game. Come on, man. Settle down a little bit. Nobody's, nobody's claiming she's a better player than Pistol Pete or that she could beat him one-on-one. -on -one. I wouldn't claim that. No, it's just, you know, still incredible that she reached it and she didn't need all these extra COVID years. She's not even using her COVID year, by the way. Right. I mean, how, how many seasons did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar play? Three or four. No, bro. In the NBA. Oh, in the NBA? I, I don't expect you to know it. I'm just thinking uh, out loud. Out loud? I think that's nearly 20. Okay. How And so he and Le I mean, LeBron broke his record. Was it a different number of seasons in the NBA? Well, this is year 19 for LeBron. So last year was year 18. So 18 years. Okay. So LeBron broke it in fewer years, right? Right. But he also had the three. He had the three. But I'm saying like we don't. We do a little bit of fighting about this from time to time. But we don't fight about that stuff in the NBA, right? He's no. just the, you know, he's just it, a record holder. It is what it is in these situations. Like, I, I understand what Gary's saying. You and I agree. He did it in three years. He didn't have a three-point line. I would agree with you that it is the more impressive feat, but the record is just the numbers. That's all. The, the, the total volume of points. And again, Gary, I stress, nobody's arguing that she'd take Pistol Pete in a one-on-one -on -one game. It, it's just one of those situations, too. Where, yeah, you can mention the three-point line, which you're right, completely right to mention that. But I think I saw the numbers were uh, Pistol Pete averaged 38 shots per game. 
throughout his college career, Caitlin Clark's only averaged 21. So I don't know where you get that if you average that out, how many points that equates to. But, I mean, that should be for something as well. It's it's just a nuanced conversation, but we can't have it. It's like, whoa, your women can't beat man in this competition either. But nobody, nobody's saying that she could. Yeah. That's, that's the point, that nobody's saying that she could. Um, and so blindside Chris comes back at him and says, Brittany Grider would kick Gary's ass. <laughs> what are we doing here? Hypothetical situations. What are we doing here? Uh, App State Dave. Caitlin Clark would smoke that nobody never was jabroni Gary. Damn, Gary, you just... Oh, man. You you just kicked a hornet's nest, my friend. And I'm loving it. I, keep, see about doing five, it. I see about five Caitlin Clarks at a North Stokes <laughs> High School basketball game. See, them girls, they shoot the threes. Uh, they know what they're doing at the fundamentals. Sure. Well, that honestly, though, that's true. It's part of the reason I like the women's game. It's like I, I like watching good women's teams play because they are more fundamentally sound. Let's be real about that. Uh, yeah, they are. They, they, they use the backboard. Caitlin Clark's not. She's like trying to be Steph Curry. Right. Right. Um, somebody 704 number stop comparing the women and men's scoring numbers stop blaming me for it that's how the NCAA does this bro come on Gas House Earl wanted me to read Gary's text in the Bessemer City voice yeah damn it I should have done that you still can do it we got enough time (laughs) come on I don't know if I can do it without laughing bro come on so if Pistol Pete did it in three years she isn't hasn't and can't break any record how many points did she have after three years? Just count every one of her three-point shots as two points. And at the end of three years, how many points did she have? A woman can't beat a man at much, and damn sure not this year, judging things in realistic terms. You're not one of these, if the media said it, then it must be so, bandoliers. This ain't even a real text line. <laughs> Gary from King. The last part killed me. <laughs> this ain't even a real text line. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here comes Gary. He's back. He says, bring it, dog, but bring an ass load and be ready to leave light. Yes, Gary. He's threatening the whole text line. He's going to fight every one of you. Did he say ass load? He said he's bringing an ass load and we, we ought to be ready to leave light. So he's telling us to bring an ass load and be ready to leave light because he's taking a bite out of us. Oh, God. Gary, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> a woman can't beat no man. God, I love this show. This is the best show ever. Also, by the way, side note, side note. Lightning Alex just said he's got a point about the text line. I love this show so much. Oh, Anyway, um, somebody earlier said, uh, oh, God, what'd they say? They said, how do I get my name on the text line? And somebody else was like, God, I hate anonymous texters. It was such a random thing to get mad at. But he said, I hate anonymous texters. Like, wow, that's a little strong, man. But if you want to send your name in, I do this from time to time because we get more listeners all the time. If you want your name attached to the text line, just send me a text right now on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. If you know for a fact or you're unsure if your name's in the system, just text me the name you want in the text line. And during commercial breaks, you know, I, I'll go in and try to, to assign the names to your phone number. So that way, when you text in, you're not just 704 number or 980, let's go, or what, 828 up in the mountains. Just, you know, if you want your name on the text line and you're new 
or you know that you know you're not assigned yet, just text me what the name you want on the text line is, and I'll try to start to set sign. Text it in. My name is anonymous texter. <laughs> Go to break. All right. We, when we come back, Steve Clifford. Hornets head coach. Uh, they've got the Bucks tonight. They are running it back against Milwaukee. We'll talk to Steve Clifford next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Well, I can't beat no man.